Welcome to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. For the next hour, Monterey College of Law's Dean Mitchell Winnick and law professor Stephen Wagner will discuss current legal events and public policy issues that are affecting our daily lives. They will not provide individual legal advice. If you have a specific legal problem, you're encouraged to contact a lawyer for legal assistance. If you do not have a lawyer, contact the local bar association or lawyer referral service in your community for recommendations. And now, here's Wagner and Winnick on the law. Welcome to another edition of Wagner and Winnick on the Law. I am San Luis Obispo College of Law professor and trial attorney Stephen Wagner. And today I am joined by co-host Michael Cohen. He is the regular host of International Crossroads and a valuable contributor to Wagner and Winnick on the Law on our year-round basis. Uh, my regular co-host, Mitchell Winnick, Dean and President of Monterey College of Law, San Luis Obispo College of Law, and Kern County College of Law is on assignment. Michael, how do you like the sound of that? On assignment? <laughs> yeah. He is. Like he's, down in, he's down in Los Angeles on school business. Right. It's amazing. Uh, uh, Mitch is actually doing something. Oh, okay. uh, that's so unusual for a dean. Come on, he's a trailblazer. <laughs> he is indeed. He is our intrepid dean, as he says. Yes. So, Michael, I'm glad you're joining today. Uh, and our topic is a fascinating one, and I'm, I want to give you the, the honors of introducing it. Um, I definitely look forward to our discussion, and uh, why don't you take it away and set the table for our topic today? Well, thanks, Stephen, uh, and it, it is wonderful to be here with you. Um, I have to share with you that this is the morning of my 52nd birthday, and I could... Uh, uh, while, while most people may want to sleep in, or even some people, I, uh, I couldn't wait to get up at 5.30 a.m. Pacific time here in California to join you on uh, our AI segment. Um, what a high honor. Thanks, Michael. I appreciate it. Happy birthday. Well, thanks. You know, maybe one way to start uh, this discussion or our conversation, Stephen, is to talk a little bit about artificial intelligence and what it is. Um just in its most basic form, you know, I, I kind of think of artificial intelligence as intelligent machines, <laughs> really, it, it, something that simple. I am kind of an old mathematics major, and um, uh, before computer science was really a, a separate discipline and uh, more more an applied mathematics, uh, all before my law school days. And um at its most basic notion, you know, an intelligent machine, an intelligent agent, something that can solve problems, something that can acquire knowledge, something that can plan, learn, understand, and perceive language. Uh, and I uh, have observed and experienced over my lifetime uh, uh, what uh, many people call the AI effect, and that is a machine that takes over some cognitive function that we as humans used to perform and becomes so commonplace that we no longer consider it AI. We, we simply consider it uh, uh, part of our human experience and we look at AI as something moving forward. Uh, and there are so many things that fall into that category 
that uh, seem to be changing exponentially faster and faster that uh, I have trouble really uh, almost uh, adding up, if you will, Stephen, the number of uh, intelligent machines that are already in my life. Yeah, and you know, Michael, I, I like the intro like that, and I was thinking it, it would be helpful to uh, use some type of a working definition for artificial intelligence. And, you know, as I prepared for the program, I came up with some kind of what I'll call unrefined definitions uh, and, and really more thought bubbles that I had. And, and one thing I think of is computers taking over this idea of, uh, turning the keys over to a system that can now be used to replace traditional thought and cognitive function kind of thing. Um, I, I don't mean that to be a negative spin, but you know, when you uh, came up with the idea to do the topic, to take it on, uh, we were going to try to put a legal spin on it. And it's fascinating to think that we are now in a time, an era, where we must face the fact that uh, artificial intelligence and uh, algorithms and things that I think uh, would pass scientific tests in our courtrooms probably, uh, they're here. we got to deal with it. Yeah, and it's going to, you know, you know a, a artificial intelligence is this thing that is uh, kind of a creeping existence, if you will. And I don't mean creepy, I just mean creeping in its approach. Over history, uh, artificial intelligence has worked its way into a number of robotic functions that we have traditionally thought of as displacing uh, human labor jobs, if you will, right? I think of the of the busy... Uh, Los Angeles or San Francisco restaurant, Stephen, uh, or San Luis Obispo restaurant in the turn of the century, and the number of people who did various jobs in the restaurant, uh, from um, uh, calculating bills to washing dishes, right? Let's take washing dishes. At one point in time, there were lines of human folks who washed dishes during the peak hours of restaurant work and food service work. That's now replaced by what we call dishwashers. And whether you consider a dishwasher a robot of some sort or some intelligent thing of some sort, I don't know, but it's replaced a job function. And we can accelerate that through history where there are entire automobile plants where most uh, autom- uh, parts of the automotive line now are assembled by robotics, right? And yeah. there's, a whole, there's a whole system that's, that's in essence running that, that robotic activity and that system has a whole series of what we could consider intelligent machines or intelligent agents performing functions that humans used to do. What's really interesting to think about, and I love your definition, Stephen, I, 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 what's really interesting to think about for me right now with you and, and converse about is this notion that uh, over time, particularly in the 21st century, and particularly in the last five years even, and certainly the last 10, accelerations in mathematics, uh, specifically what's generally considered a, st- a statistical approach to learning, 
machine learning versus a programmed approach versus me, Stephen, putting into a computer all the things that I want whatever I'm doing to know. A statistical approach allows a computer with the right code to uh, develop learning on its own through statistical evaluations of what's right or what's wrong or, or what path it needs to follow. That approach, that mathematical approach to learning combined with massive data sets that are readily accessible constantly around the world 24-7 on the internet and the speed of processing and computing has created this modern potential, I'll call it, uh, or our current and present potential for machines to actually uh, uh, solve problems, uh, to have knowledge, to plan, to learn, to understand language, to perceive things, to have some modicum of social protocol that is increasing exponentially every day and uh, increasing in ways that have just never really been contemplated other than in science fiction and they're here and what's the upshot of all this well the upshot of all of this is that folks have generally thought okay artificial intelligence will imp- will 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 displace or replace much of the labor force and free those folks up for other types of creative thinking and application at least that would be a great hope but boy what if artificial intelligence is now going to replace the, the, the higher education jobs, the jobs that we have traditionally considered to be ones that require human ingenuity, creativity, and thinking. What if machines are better able to do those things on a more uniform and objective basis without bias? Now we're starting to think of machines replacing tasks in professions like medicine or lawyering. Yeah, Mike, Michael, you know, n- now you, you, you jolted me with that one because I'm thinking now about uh, some of the more prolific news stories. And one I'll think of right away is the fast food industry. Uh, I think most of our listeners uh, would be aware of the fact that uh, many of the jobs in fast food industry or the industry um, have been potentially taken over or there's been talk of of replacement there uh, of machines taking over a lot of those positions and you know your segue into the potential for artificial intelligence and uh, replacement thinking um, which is kind of a a loose way I think about this it's a potential replacement for uh, what is I think I will call regular thought process and it potentially intruding or having a place in medicine or obviously the law. I think your point is we need to brace for it, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, the the, the general thinking has been, boy, machines will pre- replace these things and they will be replaced kind of slowly. And the uh, what you call replacement, Stephen, I, in some ways, uh, I, I, I like that term, but I also wonder whether a, a, another term for the replacement side of the fence is displacement, right? Okay, because sure. re, replacement requires the replaced to do something else. Uh, 
Yeah, actually, Michael, you know, I think it's yeah, probably right? more augmentation is probably the better term to be used because I don't think we're talking about replacing human thought here. But, you know, Michael, let me get your thought on this. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to I come back to that because yeah, yeah, I'm, not of sure about that. I'm not sure about that at all. No, no, I get you. And, and I do want to hit that topic. But I wanted to raise the baseball. Uh, obviously, we're in the playoff uh, season. So I wanted to, to use analytics, if I may, for a moment, and baseball. Uh, mm-hmm. The game of baseball has changed dramatically due to analytics. Um, I recently read a long story in the Wall Street Journal about analytics, and uh, it was actually a little bit of a harsh uh, critique on analytics and what it's done to the game. And I think the, the tone of the article that, that I read was that it's actually slowed the game down quite a bit. You know, the average length of a baseball game is now going into three hours, 20 minutes or something like that. But there's no doubt about it. If you look back at like Billy Ball, the Oakland A's and Billy Bean and his uh, ushering in the idea of stats, data mining and all that, uh, it's here when, and we got to deal with it. Yeah, no, there, there's, there's no question about it. And, and I, you know, Stephen on the, on the, Augmentation, uh, you know, I, you've hit the point. There are certain areas where I'll call uh, I'll call displacement areas, and and look at the impact of artificial intelligence as a displacement to a human job function. Mm-hmm. There there are other areas where there's enhancement. You you called it augmentation, right? Where where in essence, machine learning and machine agents have enhanced or could enhance our perceptions, enhance the things that we can't compute, enhance the things that we can't perceive, uh, and and give us more information to think and to apply human reasoning and creativity to our jobs. And I think that both of those things can occur in the legal profession, are occurring in the legal profession, and that the legal profession itself, which is a fascinating profession because of its historical application of what we think of as philosophical or human logic, is completely ripe for both of these things in, in the artificial intelligence arena, displacement and augmentation. Absolutely, Michael. And, and I think it, it's probably fair to say that the courts may well serve as the gatekeeper for much of artificial intelligence because you and I are trial lawyers and we deal with the issue of admissibility of evidence. So when we come back um, from this break, we're about to, to go out on a break, let's talk about how artificial intelligence impacts the legal field and what kind of things uh, attorneys might need to brace for and how it would impact uh, the law or the industry of the law. All right, let's take that on when we get back from the break. Uh, You're listening to Wagner and Winnick on the law over Voice America Radio. We're about to go out on a break and get a word from our sponsors. Our topic today is artificial intelligence. When we come back, we'll talk about how artificial intelligence may impact the legal industry. Don't go away. Monterey College of Law is excited to announce that we are opening our third branch law school in Bakersfield. We are Kern County College of Law, and we are an accredited branch of Monterey College of Law. 
established 44 years ago. We are now accepting applications for students who will begin in summer of 2017. As with our other branches in Monterey and San Luis Obispo, Kern County College of Law offers convenient evening classes Mondays through Thursdays. At Kern County College of Law, we have a tuition rate guarantee program that freezes your tuition rate when you begin and protects you from annual tuition increases. At Kern County College of Law, our faculty is composed of highly esteemed local lawyers and judges. Dream of becoming a lawyer? Do something about it. Call me, Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions of Kern County College of Law, 831-582-4000, extension 1012. For more information, This is Mitch Winnick, co-host of Wagner & Winnick on the Law. We are pleased to welcome Monterey Peninsula Surgery Centers and their related Minimus Institute as sponsors of our program. Location shouldn't keep you from the quality surgery you need. MPSC's Destination Surgical Institute features world-class surgeons, concierge assistants, and transparent bundled fees. For more information, go to www.montereysurgerycenter.com. Thank Monterey Peninsula Surgery Centers for state-of-the-art outpatient surgery. Our patients get better faster and get back to doing what they love. Out-of-towners and self-insured employers can now benefit from our quality care through our concierge division, Minimus Institute. Call 831-333-4153 or visit minimusinstitute.com to learn about how we're reducing the cost of surgery by 40 to 60% while delivering state-of-the-art care. Many people believe that law firms are pretty much the same. At Shepherd Mullen, we don't. Our law firm believes that what separates us from the pack is not what we do, but how we do it. Aggressive, not conservative. Team players, not one-man bands. Problem solvers, not just legal practitioners. Our clients clearly understand and value this difference. Shepherd Mullen is a full-service Global 100 law firm with more than 750 lawyers. We handle corporate and technology matters, high-stakes litigation, and complex financial transactions. From our 15 offices in the U.S., Europe, and Asia, we offer global solutions and seamless representation to our clients around the world. I am Michael Cohen, a partner in the Antitrust and International Competition Group at Shepard Mullen. I invite you to find out more about our law firm at shepherdmullen.com. That's S-H-E-P-P-A-R-D. M-U-L-L-I-N dot com. Welcome back to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. If you are just joining us, we're talking about artificial intelligence and how artificial intelligence may impact the legal field or how it is impacting the legal field. And I'm joined today by International Crossroads host, Michael Cohen. Michael, let's pick it up with the topic of how artificial intelligence is likely to impact the legal field. Sure, yeah. So we were talking right before the break, Stephen, um, uh, and having a conversation about this wonderful notion that you set up of uh, displacement, if you don't mind, and augmentation or enhancement, and how those things might impact professional services that we have historically uh, thought of as, you know, trades of the mind, if you will. I I, I may be coining something that already exists or I may be just making something up, but uh, professional trades where uh, uh, historically uh, 
uh, compensation and value have been attributed to the uh, intelligence quotient of, of uh, and I don't mean it in the IQ sense, Stephen, the general intelligence quotient, but the intelligence quotient in that your job's function is literally thinking, right? The job's function may be communication, understanding, all of those things. Let's just call it all the things that we consider perhaps qualifications or characteristics of, of intelligence, of thinking, of mind activity, reasoning, logic, argument advocacy um legal uh, analysis legal analysis yeah okay. you know what if we go to a world you know you, you mentioned the court as a potential gatekeeper to the application of artificial intelligence or maybe the the sifter of our artificial intelligence as it begins to impact the the legal profession and i thought that was a a brilliant thought that inspired a lot of uh, ideas on, on, on my part uh, because I could see that. I can see the courts having the, the power, right, the, the, the power, state courts or federal courts in America or just judicial tribunals and systems in any nation, uh, whether, whether Germany, France, or, or Italy, or whatever, the United Kingdom, Australia, all over the world, however their judicial systems are in play. They have, most in most Western societies, I'll, I'll say, the, the judicial system plays a key role in governing functions and has some power to bring about change. Currently, we as lawyers run around and do all kinds of things in the legal research and analysis arena that I can easily see displaced by artificial intelligence to the extent uh, some, and, and things already have been in many ways. Uh, 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 Stephen, think of this. I once was sitting down with a colleague who said, Michael, who do you think your competition is? And I started naming all of the practitioners that I kind of knew in my demographic age-wise, generation-wise, if you will, Stephen, in my, in my practice area of international competition ar- around the world. And, and uh, my colleague kind of had a big smile on his face and he let me go through these names and we had a, a, a laugh about some people, including ourselves in that mix. <laughs> Right. And, and, and he looked at me and he said, you know, I think you're wrong, Michael. I think your biggest competition right now is Google. <laughs> and I, I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, how many calls do you get from your clients th- 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 nowadays asking a question about X, right? And I realized, whoa, a lot fewer than I used to. I still do the same work for those clients. I still do in in application, but I speak to them a lot less frequently. And and when they speak to me, they're speaking to me from a very different level of understanding than they used to because they can literally type in a question to a machine and get an answer. Just like anybody who saw our show and might have wanted to do a little research could have typed in what is general intelligence and gotten an awful lot of extraordinarily relevant responses that they could digest. Well, what if we had a world where lawyers didn't argue about the law? 
that a machine, an artificial intelligence algorithm, digested and at the beginning of any lawsuit spit out a law of the case. These are, you know, all of those things that we ask a court to rule on and decide along the way could be decided at the outset. Interpretation of various aspects of the element of offense or, or, or a law, et cetera, like that. Well beyond sort of standard jury instructions and things like that. What if when we, when we went or had a dispute in, in litigation, uh, we submitted briefs that machines read, and they can do that, right? Machines can read. We call it, in fact, it's such a common practice for machines to read and write that we don't think of it as artificial intelligence anymore. We call it OCR, scanning, other types of things, right? But that's machines, literally, visually looking at something and reading it, interpreting it correctly, and, and they can go get data and answers and other types of things. Well, machines can do that very, very, very quickly. And, and, and are judicial functions going to be tasked to artificial intelligence? Things that law clerks currently do, things that judges do in issuing at least opinions, even draft opinions for the judge. Can a machine literally take the party's positions and create a reasoned analysis and approach and decision based on all data available to it quickly, and which is complete knowledge of the law, Stephen. Not the cases that you or may, I may find, but all cases that may apply instantaneously in the knowledge of the database because the machine knows and has access to that knowledge and statistically can figure out a logical solution or problem solution with with complete data in a in a in a in a legal database which is no 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 different than the legal databases we currently use that have collected cases present something that is uh, doesn't have a single adverb in it from a lawyer <laughs> doesn't have a single adjective in, a, in it from a lawyer just literally produces something for a judge that says here's the problem here's the facts here's the solution and then the judge can can, can look at that and, and refine it however they want no bombastic words about the other side no 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 you know no insertion that the yeah. other lawyer is being disingenuous doesn't matter to the machine all Not, that matters is the outcome, right? Nothing gratuitous. It, nothing would, be, gratuitous. it would be just the facts, ma'am, so to speak, right? Right, right. I, I could see that happening. I, yeah. I could completely see that happening. So yeah, that, That's possible. You know, Michael, here's the thing that kind of throws me, and it's, um, <clears throat> it's, I don't mean to throw a wet blanket on the whole concept, but the term artificial, uh, right. let's bat that around just a little bit because the connotation there or potential connotation is artificial is less credible potentially or maybe that's just one way that may be perceived um, mm -hmm. I just wanted to kind of tee that up and, and sure around a little bit um, that's not necessarily true um, if you're looking at collection of data uh, you you called it displacement and I think you were doing that to illustrate that certain functions, and you used the legal industry actually to cite an example, certain functions could actually be displaced because it could be done in another way or another manner. Would that be right? Yes. Okay. 
So, so artificial, as that term's used. For instance, if you did an internet search and you looked up artificial intelligence, you're going to get a few definitions. And sure. none of the definitions that I saw really attack or go after the term artificial uh, in the sense that it is somehow uh, less credible, necessarily. However, I think the perception may well be that it is less credible. Yeah, you know, it cuts both ways in some ways, Stephen. I completely share that view that uh, and understand it, that the artificiality of intelligence, you know, it, which means sort of uh, to me as um, not, an old genuine, man, not genuine, might be a way to right, look. Right, right, or, 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 or machine versus human. Right? right. That's what really makes it artificial is that uh, the human mind uh, isn't applying the the uh, the, the intelligence that in instead um, uh, uh, a machine is applying that that intelligent function. And, and you know, that's what I call the AI effect. Machines have already displaced so many of those functions that we just accept them as part of our lives. The calculator. Right. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> you know, I, it, 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 you can go go on and on, but we, we're now. You know, you you can stand in certain parts of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and when you open your Uber app, right, you're you're now telling your iPhone that you'd like a ride, and the car comes, and there's no driver in it. I I mean, things are things are going very fast, and that works, and that happens, and you can literally do that live in certain cities. You do not need a driver for Uber in in certain cities in the country where the uh, driverless cars have been deployed. That, that's an extraordinary function. If somebody had said to me, do you need to be, do you need to have human intelligence to drive a car? I would have said, you know, <laughs> yes, right? In a heartbeat for all kinds of reasons, alertness, instinct, emergency situations, avoidance, moral decisions as to whether or not to hit like a lamppost instead of running into a crosswalk full of school children. Sure. I mean, you've heard machines, are, right? Machines are making those decisions for us right now. Yeah, <laughs> you know? they, they are. Yeah, you've heard me talk about the autonomous vehicle issue, and 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 I my position there is that it's going to be very difficult to take the human factor component out of it. So, right, uh, and and we but we have you know and, and we have you know, like if there's one thing that goes wrong, then then the whole thing gets derailed, and people start saying, well, you know, we shouldn't have had a machine in there, but. And it's not clear to me that that's that's going to be derailed, or or that it should, uh, for for that for that matter. Um, you know, the the entire uh, the entire um, uh, question really of artificial intelligence was sort of posed in um, uh, in nineteen in the nineteen fifties, I, I think, in uh, you know, out of Dartmouth and. The, the basic essence of the question was, uh, you know, c- can we uh, model uh, uh, computer uh, computing capability uh, based on and dissect the full capabilities of human logic and, and human reasoning? And I'm butchering the actual much more simple proposition that uh, folks uh, proposed and that uh, gave birth, if you will, to the, the field of artificial intelligence. But another way to look at artificial intelligence is that it is better, not not worse, that it is not disingenuous, but it is more objective because it does not have human bias 
built into it or that it is mathematical in its solution, objectively applied exactly the same way to all facts that are similar, etc. And you should get the same result no matter who you are, no matter what the circumstances are uh, as you are fed into this mill. And I actually think that's wrong and that there's dangers in that type of thinking. Yeah, let's 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 go into that topic a little bit. Let me frame something, Michael, and get and and uh, discuss this a bit. Uh, we talked on the break about jury selection, <clears throat> and what mm-hmm. I want to do, and what I'd like to address is the idea of algorithms. All right, mm-hmm. uh, algorithms are absolutely used when uh, jury consultants, for instance, are engaged to assist trial lawyers in preparation for big trials. You know, there's long been a quest by trial attorneys to poll test and to conduct mock presentations in an effort to determine how jurors, potential or impaneled jurors, might actually decide a case. Um, That's my long kind of drum roll because we're coming up on a break, but I think that might serve as a good example that we can talk about when we come back from the break as to how algorithms are used and statistics are used as a means of predicting uh, potential outcomes. Because frankly, it's been around a while um, and I don't see it going away. So let's take that on when we get back from the break. Uh, You're listening to Wagner and Winnick on the Law over Voice America Radio. We're going out on a brief break and a word from our sponsors. Our topic today is artificial intelligence and We'll be right back to take it on after the break. If you've been considering a new career, now is the perfect time to look into the field of law. Whether you're fresh out of school or just thinking about change, the San Luis Obispo College of Law is now accepting applications for 2017 admission. The San Luis Obispo College of Law is an accredited branch of the Monterey College of Law School. You can get a law degree from an accredited law school right here in San Luis Obispo. San Luis Obispo College of Law's highly esteemed faculty is comprised of local judges and lawyers. San Luis Obispo College of Law classes are held conveniently in the evening. The San Luis Obispo College of Law's campus is located at 4119 Broad Street at Tank Farm in Slow. Make today the first step in changing your life. Attend an informational session and get answers to your questions. Call Dean of Admissions Wendy LaRiviere at 805-439-4096. Visit slowlaw.org for more information. That's slowlaw.org. Did you ever wonder, what is the basis of international law? Where would I even go to look up international laws? This is law professor Michael Cohen with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. The United Nations Treaty Collection is an online database that provides information on more than 560 treaties and international legal documents deposited with the United Nations. The database also indicates which countries have signed, ratified, or lodged objections to the treaties. These legal agreements are the basis of international law. They cover topics such as human rights, disarmament, commodities, refugees, the environment, and the law of the sea. Lately, we have heard political candidates making lots of statements about enforcing international law. But if you want to be better informed about the actual laws in place, go to treaties.un.org. 
That is treaties.un.org. The U.S. Constitution has recently created national headlines in the debate about filling the vacancy created by the sudden death of Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. The president and certain members of Congress are at odds about what the Constitution requires when there's a vacancy on the Supreme Court. Who is right? And how can everyday citizens be informed enough to know the answer? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner and Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. ConstitutionCenter.org is a website published by the National Constitution Center. The center was established by Congress to provide information about the United States Constitution on a nonpartisan basis. If you want information about the Constitution's history and what it means today, go to ConstitutionCenter.org and form your own opinion about the law. Welcome back to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. Our topic today is artificial intelligence, and we're talking about how the use of artificial intelligence can creep in to the legal field. Um, It may have already entered the tent, actually, but we're going to shift the topic to just uh, how it's impacting the legal field. And Michael, uh, before the break, I had introduced the idea of jury selection. I, I think I did that on air, or maybe it was just you did. Yeah. No, um, you did. Um, let, let's let's air that topic out a little bit. Um, both you and I have experienced uh, many trials, uh, jury trials, and been in that setting. And I think we've probably both also utilized the services of jury consultants. And the reason I was setting the table on that topic is to get the topic of algorithms into the mix. Sure. So, So, go ahead. So, uh, in uh, the practice of law, trial attorneys very often want to poll potential jurors, and they often engage jury consultants to do that, uh, to assemble uh, individuals that are usually randomly selected uh, to participate in what I can call now sort of a mock presentation of a trial, and it doesn't necessarily always entail a full trial or presentation. Very often it involves niche issues that the attorneys wish to poll so as to glean data and to get feedback from uh, a panel. And Michael, I wanted to get your thoughts on just uh, how algorithms uh, may well play a part in that and uh, how artificial intelligence plays a part in that. Yeah, so you know, it's a it's a really fascinating question, and it's a interesting area to set up uh, or think about uh, both displacement or augmentation. S- Stephen, you know, uh, jury selection or um, what we ca- typically call right voir dire the 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 phase of a trial where the jury is empaneled and the veneer, if you will, the the pool of jurors. Uh, uh, are asked and examined, uh, ask questions and provide information in response to those questions and uh, are selected uh, uh, or excused on the basis of cause or no cause at all in certain instances called peremptory challenges where lawyers can get like one or two or sometimes four peremptory, you know, 
varying according to the jurisdiction, <clears throat> peremptory strikes, which means they are allowed to intuitively uh, excuse a, a juror or, or use a strike on a particular juror for, for just intuition reasons or no reason at all. Um, and, and those strikes are always con- and can be controversial uh, because there are areas where you should not be exercising those kinds of strikes. The government, for example, can't exercise those strikes on, on the basis of a discriminatory protected classes of people and things like that, right? Um, uh, well, what if the human element were taken out of jury selection altogether? A, a machine could pick a jury with a judge with all of the information on a very objective basis that doesn't include any of the pitfalls or risks. Uh, artificial intelligence can, uh, and, and so that's a displacement function perhaps for human intuition in a jury box or uh, human questioning or anything else. Uh, at the same time, artificial intelligence can be used to augment the lawyer's role with respect to uh, juror outcomes. Doing jury research, like you just mentioned, can teach uh, or machines can collect the information from jury research and make predictions about the types of jurors who are sympathetic or hostile to a particular case or position and arm lawyers with that information. And uh, I think that this kind of notion of jury selection being both displacement or augmentation also can potentially highlight the risks. Because when that happens, when you go through, say, a jury research exercise and the modern jury research firm applies an artificial intelligence algorithm to uh, those predictions about jurors that may be favorable or unfavorable to your position, uh, you know, when I come out of that, I'm like, wow, that's just really cool. That's so interesting. That's so insightful. But what if it's completely freaking wrong? Yeah, you know. My- who, who, made, who made the algorithm? Yeah. What, what is the algorithm doing? I can't see what it's producing. There's no transparency here. Where did it come from? And it has this sound, right, Stephen, of mathematics and objectivity. And it could be just complete trash. We have no idea. Right. So, so potentially fraught with peril. And Michael, one of the things that comes to mind immediately for me is this idea of profiling. And, right. and you know, obviously the quest during voir dire and jury selection is to, I actually sometimes call it jury deselection rather right. than selection, right? Because right. The reality of that process, and it happens to be, in my opinion, probably one of the most critical phases in trial by jury, um, you are actually searching for bias. You know, this notion that we're trying to find the perfect, pure juror who's devoid of bias, you know, to me, is, is certainly not a concept that's in most trial lawyers' playbook. I mean, we are out to find jurors that will be sympathetic to our position. And the idea of having artificial intelligence or algorithms that can be used to, and I'm going to go with augment on this one, Michael, to potentially augment the process and to give the trial lawyer some valuable signals as to how a certain juror's proclivities or leanings might parlay into a positive, in my opinion, is a fascinating topic. And and I think it needs to be embraced, but 
cautiously. That would be my position. You know, I think that's right, I, Stephen, in the sense that uh, it, in my own, my own view it overlaps substantially with yours in that uh, I, I would, I would kind of look at it this way, though. Artificial intelligence has to be embraced because it's here. And it's coming, and and in fact, uh, I, I actually think that the you know from from my own experiences and uh, from my own study and learning that artificial intelligence feels to me to be way ahead of even its current application. What 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 the, the capabilities are far beyond what have been deployed, and uh, I think that the uh, trick, if you will, the challenge that we face as a, uh, a human, say, profession, uh, uh, a, hum- a human uh, condition of work and employment and uh, uh, thought and so many other things, creativity, art, uh, literature, so many things. The challenge is to sift artificial intelligence into our world in such a way that uh, you know, we minimize the risks, and and the risks do range. The risks range from from taking over systems, from you know, sort of the 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 the, the uh, you know the, the normal uh, parameters of of how far artificial intelligence can go. Contemplate the traditional paradigm of the of the machine asked to calculate pi definitively. Mm-hmm. It, it can't do it, right? Because it's repeating. So it will infinitely develop processing speeds. But how far will it go to perform that task? If it can learn, if it can protect itself, if it can, you know, uh, uh, to, to complete that task, it, it could tread on all kinds of, you know, things, right? Um, that that people do or people need, and if its task is singular without parameters, it, it could destroy uh, uh, you know uh, uh, things. Uh, uh, it, it, you know, you, you, you kind of think about that. In law, I think it's no doubt coming. Right? I, I think about artificial intelligence can can play so many roles. It will likely and already has in so many ways. Stephen displaced massive human labor tasks in the law particularly in evidence management, right? We used to you know, manage evidence through teams of paralegals and lawyers that categorized and separated and uh, tagged and compiled and distilled and synthesized sure. and, you know, Michael, with Michael, evidence in a cast. Michael, some, yeah. of it, some of it goes by the name software. Right. <laughs> right? I mean, right, right. So, Right, so we don't do those things anymore, right? Software does that. Software takes all of the, say, documentary evidence in a case and it deduplicates it all. It assesses it all. It reads it. It tags it. It brings to the lawyer's attention documents that it thinks you should review from millions that you shouldn't. And it has completely displaced that sort of that human intensive exercise of evidentiary review and analysis to arrive at a set of facts in the case that you think are meaningful. Well, it's already done that. You know, uh, predictive coding and things like that are a form of, of artificial intelligence that's meaningful. 
those kinds of things may continue. The, the, the need for lawyers to research the law may dissipate. It could be that machines have the ability to research the law and produce a legal memoranda that gives you all of the cases you may need to read and gives you an answer. You know, Michael, I think, you know, I, I'm going to, I think the better term might be capability of accessing the law. You know, I, I'm not sure that it's time to say that research can be conducted or actual analysis. Um, I really think it's more like access. Yeah, I think it can. I, I, I don't see any reason it can't. To ask the, 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 the you know, to, to be able to come up with the uh, law on exclusion uh, over the past two years, et cetera, in, you know, say a particular court in uh, areas of uh, police stops. A machine can assess that law faster than a human being. It can read it, it can produce it, it can outline it, it can spit it out. Uh, it can already do that, and I think that that, that will continue. A- at the same time, I, I think that machines can do things that we can't do right now that, are, that will augment and facilitate the judicial process, things like um, uh, predicting outcomes, of cases, mm-hmm. uh, looking at potential settlement ranges for a business dispute and doing more than what the mediator does from his hip right at the yeah, end of a case, sure. can do that at the beginning of a case and say, look, this is really how this is going to go. You're going to yeah, spend this assess- much money. Right, exactly. Early you know? assessment and valuation of cases. And that, that's straight up no chaser analytics, frankly. Right. You know, right. use of stat, uh, stats. You know, Michael, we are coming running out of time. Uh, time flies when you're having fun. But I wanted to loop back very briefly. I made a comment previously about the courts being a gatekeeper. And the reason I did that, Michael, was because both you and I have experienced the use or utilization of experts in our cases. And the reason I mentioned the gatekeeper uh, component is that if artificial intelligence is the basis or foundation for an expert's opinion, the court may well be in a position to have to decide about admissibility, weight versus admissibility. I just wanted to clarify that, and I probably just opened the can on a whole new topic, but there's an evidentiary component to it, was my point. There is, and and, and just in closing, in the in the short time we have left, I think it's a wonderful point, Stephen, and there's a, you know, there, there are already artificial intelligence algorithms being applied in certain legal uh, jurisdictions in the United States to evidentiary issues like sentencing. The sentencing report that the court gets and the prosecutor gets is determined by an algorithmic exercise that takes into account the guidelines for sentencing in the jurisdiction, the crime, the prior convictions, all of these types of things, and spits out at least some recommendation. And think about that. That's an evidentiary thing that's occurring as a platform, and yet nobody knows what that algorithm is. Nobody knows who invented it. Nobody knows why the court is applying it. Nobody knows how it's going about its business. There's no transparency for this machine thinking, and I think that that is a big issue in the law that needs to be addressed. Michael, thanks for this segment. We are running out of time. We've actually just come to the close of the segment, and I want to thank you for joining us today and talking about artificial intelligence. As we remind you always, if you don't know the law, know a lawyer.
I never finished college. I had a baby and it was time for me to do more with my life. I wanted to be an attorney and be able to help people, but I didn't know I could go to law school without a four-year degree. I decided to go to Monterey College of Law because it's local and I was working full-time and had a child. So quitting work and going to a full-time law school was not really an option for me. Being able to go to school at night and the cost of tuition allowed me to graduate debt-free. Obviously, my income has increased. My schedule is more flexible now and it does allow me to spend more time with my daughter. My name is Brandi Luis and I'm an attorney at law. Did you dream of becoming a lawyer? You should know that you can apply to Monterey College of Law without a bachelor's degree. I'm Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions of Monterey College of Law. We're accepting applications now for our spring start. Dream of becoming a lawyer? Do something about it. Find out how at montereylaw.edu. This is Mitch Winnick, co-host of Wagner & Winnick on the Law. We are pleased to welcome Monterey Peninsula Surgery Centers and their related Minimus Institute as sponsors of our program. Location shouldn't keep you from the quality surgery you need. MPSC's Destination Surgical Institute features world-class surgeons, concierge assistants, and transparent bundled fees. For more information, go to www.montereysurgerycenter.com. Thank Monterey Peninsula Surgery Centers for state-of-the-art outpatient surgery. Our patients get better faster and get back to doing what they love. Out-of-towners and self-insured employers can now benefit from our quality care through our concierge division, Minimus Institute. Call 831-333-4153 or visit minimusinstitute.com to learn about how we're reducing the cost of surgery by 40 to 60% while delivering state-of-the-art care. Shepard Mullen is a full-service Global 100 law firm with more than 750 lawyers. We handle corporate and technology matters, high-stakes litigation, and complex financial transactions. From our 15 offices in the United States, Europe, and Asia, we offer global solutions and seamless representation to our clients around the world. You might ask, what is the Shepard Mullen difference? The answer is you. Our clients are our focus. Every Shepard Mullen attorney and staff member is issued a plaque listing our client service expectations. We regularly give Clients First awards to attorneys and staff members who go the extra mile for our clients. Client service is not just words, it is part of our culture and permeates everything we do. I am Michael Cohen, a partner in the Antitrust and International Competition Group at Shepard Mullen. I invite you to find out more about our law firm at shepherdmullen.com. That's S-H-E-P-P-A-R-D-M-U-L-L-I-N dot com.